You are listening to a sermon by Dr. Richard Caldwell, produced by Walking in Grace. Walking in Grace is a listener-supported ministry. If you'd like to know how you can help these messages reach more people, visit walkingingrace.org media. Matthew chapter 19 is where we are in our study of God's Word this evening, Matthew 19. And we're reading beginning at verse 16 down to the 22nd verse, Matthew chapter 19, verse 16. And behold, someone came to him and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? And he said to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandment. Then he said to him, Which ones? And Jesus said, You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. And you shall love your neighbor as yourself. The young man said to him, All these things I have kept, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, If you wish to be complete, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. But when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving, for he was one who owned much property. Let's go to our God together in prayer. Our Father in heaven, we ask now as we turn our attention to your holy word that you would be our teacher, that Lord, you'd be at work in my mind, in my heart, with my words as I strive to declare rightly what you've revealed in the Holy Scripture. And Lord, would you be at work in our minds and hearts as we listen? Would you strengthen us to give to you our very best attention? And we pray that the Holy Spirit our resident truth teacher, for every believer in this place, that he will take his sword in hand and deal with our hearts tonight in a way that is edifying for your church. In every way we stand in need before you tonight, Lord, we always need instruction, but we always need correction. We always need encouragement. We always need, Lord, redirection. And so, Lord, we pray that you would be at work in all those ways for your glory and for our good. We are mindful that some will hear me who don't know you, and we desire and ask for the salvation of those who will hear me who don't yet know Jesus. Thank you for your mercy toward us, Lord. Thank you for your grace to us in Jesus. Thank you for your love for us that preceded our love for you. And thank you that your love is set on us in a way that it will never, ever be withdrawn. Bless tonight we ask in Jesus' name. Amen. There is no way to enter the kingdom of heaven without humility and faith. If we are to be saved, we must humble ourselves and we must believe. We must believe in Christ. We must believe Jesus, not only concerning what He has revealed about Himself, we must believe Jesus concerning what He has revealed about us. He came to the world to save sinners. He doesn't do that unless we are sinners. 
But we don't just believe Jesus about His person, and we don't just believe Jesus about our sinfulness. We believe Christ about everything. This is the question that every person is faced with when they come face to face with Christ as Savior. Do you believe Jesus is completely trustworthy? Do you believe Him with all your heart? I mean, if if He asks you, if He calls you to relinquish everything about life as you have known it, about life as you have constructed it, if He asks you, calls you to give all of that up and to follow Him, can you trust Him? Will you do it? Does He know better than you? As children are characterized by simple trust, so a man or a woman must become like a child to enter the kingdom of heaven. That's what Jesus has just taught in the previous verses. We could state it negatively by saying this, pride in yourself, trust in yourself, shuts you off from the grace of God. The Bible says God resists the proud, but He gives grace to the humble which clearly communicates that the grace of God will not be found until your pride is relinquished. He resists the proud. He gives grace to those who humble themselves. Hold on to your pride. Justify your sin. Define your own righteousness. Create your own way to serve God. This is what some people do. They create their own system of religion with, and then attach the name of Jesus to it. Do these things and you will never, ever meet with the grace of God in Jesus Christ. You will be found outside the kingdom and family of Christ. This is not what characterizes people who are born again. Not characterized by pride, not characterized by self-trust. So have you humbled yourself? Have you Place your faith in Jesus. All of this is tested when our worldview is upset by truth. When Jesus comes to someone with his hard sayings, we've seen this already in this larger section, Christ teaching about divorce and remarriage. He says, he who is able to accept this, let him accept it. There are those who are able to receive the hard sayings of Jesus, even when it bothers them because they trust Him completely. There are others who cannot trust Him. And now we are going to meet with an influential young man who is confronted in the same kind of way, not not already on the road of discipleship, but will he enter the road of discipleship? Will he enter through the narrow gate? Will he trust in Jesus for the salvation of his soul? But if he is to do that, he must relinquish what he has believed about himself all his life. He must relinquish what he's believed about eternal life. If he's to be saved, he must humble himself. He must trust Christ completely. And his situation is not unique. This is what every one of us met with when Jesus saved us. Our ideas about life, eternity, salvation, ourselves, God, all of it confronted by the gospel of Jesus Christ. The the gospel is indeed, as Pastor Philip said tonight, it is a comforting message 
But before it is a comforting word, it is a confrontational word. It is only good news to those who believe the bad news. It's only when you believe Jesus about your sinfulness and your inability to save yourself that then the gospel breaks forth with light and hope and peace and joy. God will save me apart from my works by virtue of the finished work of His Son if I place my faith in Him. But to do that, I have to relinquish everything I've believed as we're wired in sin from birth. I've got to give all of that up, humble myself, and trust in Jesus completely. We'll see that tonight in our verses. Four points I wish to make tonight. The first one is this. We see a man depending on goodness. What we're thinking about tonight is the tragedy of the moralist. The man we meet with in these verses was a moralist. And it's a tragic picture because this is a man who has been depending on human goodness. He is fixated on the concept of goodness. Behold, someone came to him, verse 16, and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This is how he thought about eternal life. It's something you must arrive at, something you must obtain, attain to by virtue of your own efforts. What is the road that I must travel? What is the end that I must strive for? Where must I get to in order to have eternal life? What good thing shall I do that I may have eternal life? This is a young man. We know that from verse 20. The young man said to him, all these things I've kept, what am I still lacking? Verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving. So this is a young man who comes to Jesus. Jesus pushes back on what this young man thinks about goodness. Verse 17, and he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There is only one who is good. We learn from Mark and Luke, he also identified Jesus as good. Mark 10, 17, as he was setting out on a journey, a man ran up to him and knelt before him and began asking him, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Luke 18, 18 says, and a certain ruler questioned him saying, good teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So Jesus is good and there is something good that I must do if I'm to have eternal life. Will this good teacher identify for me the good that I'm lacking that I might strive for it, that I might attain to it, that I might have assurance that I have eternal life. Jesus not only pushed back on his question about doing something good, he also pushed back on this man identifying him, that is Jesus, as good. Mark 10, 18, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Luke 18, 19, and Jesus said to him, why do you call me good? No one is good except God alone. Of course, Jesus is not denying that he's good. Jesus is God in human flesh. Rather, what he's challenging is this man's view of him. Are you seeing me as merely a teacher 
and then identifying me as good, all the while thinking about eternal life as something you can attain to by your own goodness. This is a man who thinks in terms of good men and good deeds. And we understand that because the world is full of people who think just like that. They think about good people and good deeds. And in their minds, the way to heaven is the road of being a good person and doing your best. Jesus pushes back. He insists that this man's concept of goodness is not just mistaken, it is dangerously mistaken. Only God is good, which is to say that men, since the fall, men in their sinful, natural condition are not capable of doing good by God's standard. Measure yourself by the holiness of God and you will not be affirmed as good. You'll be condemned as a sinner. I believe this is the sense of what Jesus is saying in verse 17. Why are you asking me about what is good? Why do you ask me about good deeds? Don't you know only God is good? Are you, are our sinful people capable of the kinds of deeds that would earn them eternal life? Is that what you think? This is the reality that a moralist is blind to. Blind to the true holiness of God. Blind to the true sinfulness of human beings. Isaiah 64 verse 6 says, We have all become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous deeds are like a polluted garment. We all fade like a leaf, and our iniquities like the wind take us away. God through Isaiah is saying, even your righteous deeds are nothing but a mirage in your mind. All tainted, all falling short of God's perfect holiness. Romans 3.9 says, what then, are we Jews any better off? No, not at all. For we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Paul teaching in the book of Romans that the the law was not given to save us. The law was given to shut us up in our sin that we might recognize we need to be saved. We're not saved by keeping the law. We're saved by the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who lived under the law without sin and then died as a substitute on the tree to pay for all our sins. We're not saved by our work. We're saved by His finished work, faith in Him. 2 Corinthians 5.21 gives voice to that truth. It says, for our sake, He made Him to be sin who knew no sin. That is a sin sacrifice or sin offering. He made Him to be sin who knew no sin so that in Him, that is in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. God dealing with His Son on the cross just as if He had lived your life and now dealing with you after you've trusted in His Son as Savior and Lord, dealing with you for time and eternity just as if you had lived His Son's life. 
Christ crushed for our iniquities, treated like a sinner on the cross, you and I accepted completely in the beloved and now treated as righteous people before the living God because He has declared us right with Himself, having clothed us with the righteousness of Jesus. That's justification by faith. The Jews struggled to understand that and to this day struggle to understand that. In Romans 10, Paul is grieving over the lostness of his kinsmen, according to the flesh. Romans 10.1, he writes, Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Before I read any further, let me just ask you, are you grieved tonight over someone you know who every indication is they are lost, but they're striving to save themselves? They, they somehow believe they can do something to save themselves? Have you ever seen someone with that kind of blindness? Paul says in verse 2, For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. They did not submit to God's righteousness. You see, this is the humility we're talking about. Will you submit to what God says about His righteousness in yours? To the way that He has chosen to save sinners like us? Or will you keep striving according to your own way? Verse 4, for Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law, that the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, do not say in your heart, who will ascend into heaven, that is to bring Christ down, or who will descend into the abyss, that is to bring Christ up from the dead. If you're trying to achieve righteousness by law-keeping, well, keep the commandments. But when you understand the gospel, you understand it has all been done already. You don't need to bring Christ down from heaven. He's already come. You don't need to bring Him up from the grave. He's already been raised. But what does it say? The Word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the Word of faith that we proclaim because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. Aren't you grateful that God's Word gives a final word about salvation? Trust in Christ for real, and you are saved. Verse 11, for the Scripture says, Everyone who believes in Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing His riches on all who call on Him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. There is the way of salvation. Not good people doing good deeds, but sinful people who deserve hell being rescued by a good God and a perfect Savior. Do you know the difference? Have you embraced the different way? Have you embraced God's way? Have you embraced God's gospel? I want to warn us this evening, there's a kind of person in our churches who claims to understand these things. He or she would say they've embraced 
the good news of the grace of God. But watch how they think. They still think in terms of their own goodness. They still glory in their own righteousness. They still trust in their own abilities. They still try in their own strength. They still congratulate themselves on their own accomplishments. They, if they have to acknowledge that something is wrong, they constantly try to fix themselves. With their mouths, they say, God saves, but by their practice, they say, I must save myself. And don't misunderstand me. Progressive sanctification is not monergistic. It's synergistic. God is at work and we're at work. But we work in progressive sanctification knowing that we're not working for justification. We have been justified. And we understand we're not working alone. And we understand that whatever working we do, the strength for it, the ability for it, is supplied by God Himself. God is at work in our working. Or the work is vain. Do you get that? Do you grasp that? So that you work, as Paul writes, harder than them all, so to speak. But he says he is what he is by the grace of God. Yet not I, but Christ works in me. This man doesn't understand the gospel, the man who's come to Jesus. He's a moralist, and he's looking to save himself. And there's a man like that in our churches. There's a woman like that in our churches, you can be sure, substituting human philosophies, human ideologies, human systems for the grace of God so that you have people rejecting this man's mindset formally, theologically, and yet, the truth be told, they're in the same position. They've got the right information in their brain, but their heart has not trusted in Christ. I said it this morning, where is the full weight of your confidence when it comes to your everlasting life? And if it's not in Christ alone, you have misplaced your confidence. So a man fixated on goodness. Second thing we see, a man deceived about goodness. Our Lord's response points to this man's deception, verse 17. And he said to him, why are you asking me about what is good? There's only one who is good. But if you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. Let's just stop there for a moment. His deception is exposed not just by the question that Jesus asks, why do you call me good? That's Mark and Luke's contribution to this conversation. But here even, why are you asking about what is good? The question exposes the man's deception. But not just the question the challenge that Jesus issues. Would you be saved by your works? Well, then keep the commandments. If you wish to enter into life, keep the commandments. What is our Lord doing? This is not the gospel presentation that you and I should give to sinners, okay? You're out witnessing somewhere and someone says, what must I do to have eternal life? And you say, well, go keep the commandments. That's not what's going on here, what Jesus is doing in His perfect wisdom and knowledge of this man is He is probing the man's conscience. He is revealing the man's deception. Because any awakened conscience 
awakened by the grace of God, would immediately respond with, I can't do that. Saved by keeping the commands of God, it's impossible. Why would you say it's impossible? Because you don't just know you're a sinner, you know you're a great sinner. But this is not how the man responds. He doesn't have an awakened conscience, not yet. Look what he says in verse 18. Then he said to him, which ones? The man seems ready to take on the challenge. Which ones? Which reveals he does not understand the depth and the breadth of the commands of God at all. If he did, he would understand that true holiness is beyond a sinner's grasp if left to himself. There's no way to live up to the standard of God in our fallen state. So what does our Lord do? He says, in effect, well, try these. Which ones, Jesus said? Here's a list. This is not an exhaustive list. This is not even a list that reflects a clear order. Out of the Decalogue, out of the Ten Commandments, He gives command six, seven, eight, nine. Then He comes back to the fifth. Then He adds something that's not found in the Ten Commandments, found in Leviticus 19.17. Jesus says, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness. Honor your father and mother. That's the fifth command. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. That's Leviticus 19.17 and 18. Leviticus 19.17 and 18 says this, you shall not hate your brother in your heart, but you shall reason frankly with your neighbor, lest you incur sin because of him. You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am Yahweh. What is Jesus doing with this challenge? He's not mapping the road to heaven. He is, he is aiming at this man's conscience. Do you understand you don't live up to this? Which ones? You haven't lived up to any of them in totality. But still the man's calloused conscience is on display. In verse 20, the young man says to him, all these things I have kept. What am I still lacking? The blind conscience of a moralist. I've kept them. In fact, he claims he's kept them all his life. Mark 10 verse 20, he said to him, teacher, all these I have kept from my youth. And he's sincere. This is a man sincerely blind, telling the truth from an external point of view. This is a young man who's been exceedingly successful in life. He's a ruler among his people, likely referring to, to like a ruler of a synagogue. Luke 18, 18, and a ruler asked him, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? So this is a young man who's already achieved a level of respect among the people of God, he has already achieved a level of influence as a ruler. And he's been successful when it comes to money as well. He's very wealthy. John MacArthur writes, Luke informs us that he was also a ruler, probably a ruler in the synagogue, an especially honored position for a young man. He was a religious leader, devout, honest, wealthy, prominent, and influential. He had it all. Behold, remember that's how the section begins, suggests how unusual and unexpected it was that he would admit he lacked eternal life 
and come to Jesus to find it. And not only does he come to Jesus, the other gospel writers reveal, I mean, he comes running to Jesus. He falls down on his knees before Jesus. There's nothing in this encounter except earnestness. This man is not putting on. He's sincere, Mark 10, 17. And as he was setting out on his journey, a man ran up and knelt before him. A man very wealthy, influential, already a religious leader, and yet he falls on his knees before Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Which indicates he knows he doesn't have assurance of that. And I think the sincerity of the man is, is evidenced by how Christ responds internally to the man. Because Mark 10.21 says this, And Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said to him, You lack one thing. Go, sell all that you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven and come, follow me. Jesus, looking at him, loved him. It's sad, isn't it? when you meet with deception that is sincere. There are people who are deceptive, they are self-deceived and they deceive others, but they're intentionally wicked. There are other people, it's another kind of deception, manifested in sincere, earnest morality. This is someone who really wants to do what is right. They just can't see. The young man asks, what do I still lack? What am I missing? Which indicates, the entire encounter indicates, he doesn't have assurance of eternal life. Despite all of his best efforts and all of his influence and all of his investment, he knows something is wrong. How many of you know that you can be moral and miserable? If, I, if I'm speaking tonight to a moralist, to someone who's been trying to save yourself, would you listen to your own misery and let it testify to the error of your ways? Will you, will you recognize that the very fact you still lack assurance says you're on the wrong road? How many moral but miserable people are in this world? Religious morality and yet miserable knowing that something is not right. And what Jesus is about to expose is even that morality is just a mirage. You're not as moral as you think you are. You're not as upright as you want to believe that you are. This young man had not kept the commandments from his youth. Externally, perhaps you could say that he had, but certainly not in terms of what they really represent. He was a sinner through and through. He just couldn't see it which explains the very wise way that Jesus responds in verse 21. Jesus answering this question, what am I still lacking? Jesus said to him, if you wish to be complete, which is a way of saying, if you want to be saved, if you want to arrive at the eternal life you're talking about, go and sell your possessions and give to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. What does Jesus do? He directs this man to himself. You come and follow me. You must humble yourself and you must believe me completely. 
Are you willing to divest yourself of what is your identity? You're wealthy. You're influential. You're a, will, you, will you sell all your possessions and embrace a humble state in this world if it means having eternal treasure? Will you give up everything you've known, everything you've constructed, everything you've trusted in to follow me? Humility, complete trust in the Son of God. You don't do this unless you believe that Jesus is the Son of God. You would never do such a thing. What's interesting is in this answer from Jesus, rather than simply say to the young man, no, you haven't. You haven't kept the commandments. He demonstrates that the man hasn't kept the commandments he claims to keep. He demonstrates this by offering him perfect goodness. What good thing must I do? Well, he's being offered perfect goodness. In fact, he's being offered eternal, eternal good. Everlasting treasure in the presence of God found by following the Son of God. And something you can know about true goodness is that it values what is the highest good. If a man were truly good, then he would set his priority on the highest good. Are you a good man? Are you ready to do good deeds? Well, let me offer to you the highest good. And is that what you want? You say you're striving for goodness. Well, will you give up everything to have the highest good? And if you desire something less than that, then are you really good? And by issuing this challenge, Christ has actually given him two commands that he did not give him in his statement. He's setting two commands before him functionally, but he's also exposing that one of the commands that he did give to the young man, there's no way that he can say he's kept it. The two commands pointed to by what Jesus says here in this challenge, are the first and greatest command, the first of the Ten Commandments. You shall have no other gods before me. Which is to say, you are only to worship God. Or to say it another way, you shall love the Lord your God with all that you are, all your heart, all your mind, all your soul, all your strength. Man owes to God. I love what Pastor Philip said earlier. I think it was in his prayer that Christ is worthy of our praises, and indeed He is. God is worthy of our wholehearted, entire life devotion. His person demands our praises. His person demands our devotion. Luke 10, 25, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. This, this expert in the law of God says if you were to sum it all up, it comes down to this, love God with all that you are and love people in a way that loves Him, God, with all that you are. A life that is not selfish, but a life that pours itself out on behalf of God in love for other people. 
And Jesus said he got it exactly right, verse 28, and he said to him, you've answered correctly, do this and you will live. What's the problem? We don't do that. Jesus died to save us from our sin of not loving God with all that we are. He died to save us from our sin of not loving each other like we love us. Jesus died for our idolatries. He died for our selfishness. And if He hadn't died, we'd be lost forever because since the fall, we don't love God with all that we are and we don't love our neighbor as ourselves. Can we see it? Now, through salvation, we're enabled to love God sincerely and genuinely, not yet perfected, not yet glorified. So we, we still struggle to love God as we should. We don't love God as we should, and we don't love each other as we should, but it's in our hearts to love our neighbor in a way that honors God. That's real for us now that the Lord has saved us. Can this young man see that he hasn't kept that command? Will he sell all his possessions to have God? Does he serve God supremely or does he serve what God has given him? Would he gladly depart from what God has given him to have God forever? You'll have treasure in heaven. Come follow me, Jesus says. But he also includes give it to the poor. Take what you have, liquidate it, and give it to someone else. Give it to your neighbor. This is the command he said he had kept. Remember, Jesus includes Leviticus 19.18. Love your neighbor as yourself. The man says, I've kept it since I was a youth. And he says, okay, well then give everything you have to someone else. And you'll have eternal life. This is what you say you want. This is the highest good, the greatest good. Does he love God with all that he is? Does he love his neighbor as himself? By the way, the other command that Jesus didn't mention is the last one of the Ten Commandments, and that has to do with covetousness. Exodus 20, 17, you shall not covet your neighbor's house, you shall not covet your neighbor's wife or his male servant or his female servant or his ox or his donkey or anything that is your neighbor's. What does that command get to? It actually is a test of the first commandment. It, it has the, the, the functional, practical effect of challenging your claim to love God more than anything to worship nothing but Him, because if in your heart you're coveting after what someone else has, if you would mistreat someone or, or, or prefer yourself before them based upon what they have, it must be because you think you lack something, not found in God. This is why the Bible connects covetousness with idolatry. Looking to someone else or something else for what only God can supply in your heart and in your life. Deuteronomy 6.1, Now this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it, that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel... And be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may, be, may multiply greatly, as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you, in a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your might. Keep all the commandments, he then summarizes it with this, love God with all that you are. 
Paul writes in Romans 13, 9 for the commandments, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not murder, you shall not steal, you shall not covet. And any other commandment are summed up in this word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. Covetousness demonstrates a failure on both counts to love God as we should and to love each other as we should. Colossians 3, 5 says, put to death therefore what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. So when I love things more than I love God, that's idolatry. And one of the ways that it's it's proven to be idolatry is when I see what you have and I want what you have instead of what God has chosen to give me. In fact, I could push you out of the way to have what you have because my heart is not satisfied in God. Every way that our Lord answers this young man probes his conscience. Will you be saved by being a good person and doing good things? Well, then you've got to keep the commands of God, all of them, perfectly. I've done that since I was young. Which ones? Let me give you a list. Well, I've, I've done those since I was a youth. Okay. Go sell everything you have, give it away to the poor. Come follow me. You'll have treasure in heaven. Do you want the highest good? You say you want good. Do you want the highest good? Have you kept the greatest commandment to love God with all that you are? Do you love your neighbor as yourself? You said you kept that one. Well, how would this young man respond? Verse 22, but when the young man heard this statement, he went away grieving for he was one who owned much property. A man fixated on goodness, a man deceived about his goodness, a man who's offered the greatest good. Fourth, a man left with his own goodness. He walks away from Jesus. As a result, he is left with his own goodness, which will not save him. He already knows it will not save him. He refuses the perfect righteousness that's received as a gift by faith in Christ Himself. And the world is full of people living by that same equation. They do the math, the spiritual math, and they ask, am I willing to follow Jesus on His terms? What does He demand of me? He demands that I bow my knee and I trust Him completely. He demands that I throw away every hope that I have of eternal life except the hope that's found in Him. He demands that I stop trying to save myself and I look to Him, the only one who can save people like me. He demands that I look away from my own merits and I put my full confidence in His finished work, His merits, His life, His death, His resurrection, His perfect person. I trust Him to save me. That's what He demands. But will I humble myself when He asks me, when He calls upon me, when He demands of me that I totally reconstruct everything I've built, that I tear it all down to entrust myself to Him in His way? Do I believe Him? Will I trust Him completely? Will I lose what I made my worldview all my life? Will I let go of my fool's gold 
for eternal treasure will I embrace an entirely new life with a new Lord. And there is no one who enters the kingdom of heaven until they become like a child. No possessions of your own. No great reputation. No ability to take care of yourself. Believing and trusting in the ones who are called to care for you. Matthew 16, 25 For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake, Jesus says, will find it. John 12, 25, whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world, that's choice language. Will you love it or will you hate it? Which will you choose? Life as you've known it or life as I offer it, would say the Son of God. Which will you love? Which will you hate? Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. Luke 9, 24, For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Have you ever, my professing brother and sister, have you ever lost your life to have life as it is in the Son of God? The gospel is peace. It's life. It's light. It's joy. It's freedom. But you'll never receive it until you're confronted by it because it destroys every other hope but Jesus. And it demands, as you enter that narrow gate, that you would love God supremely. Have you trusted in Jesus for eternal life? And then if you say yes, keep living by that standard. What are you living for? Believer, what are you living for? The treasure that's going to perish with this world? Or are you storing up treasure in heaven for moth and rust don't destroy? Thief doesn't steal. Are you living with eternity in view? Aren't we so foolish, dear ones? Every day all around us is all the evidence that we're not going to be here very long, and yet we want to live like we're going to be here forever. Has it really dawned on us that we're here like a breath just for a little while so that we don't waste our lives and we live for that which is found in Christ alone. Amen? Let's pray together. Father in heaven, thank you for the challenge that we receive when we see this encounter that our Lord had with this young man. We don't know the everlasting outcome of this encounter. We don't know if perhaps this young man turned at some later time. But we'll see next week, Lord, the discussion that you had with your disciples about what it means for the rest of us, what it means for all of us. No one is saved until we're willing to be divested of what we've counted as our treasure all our lives, until our false concepts of goodness are destroyed by the knowledge of your law in a way that enlightens our consciences. And so I pray for my brothers and sisters and myself that we would glory in the cross, 
that our boast would be in Jesus alone. And I pray at the same time for anyone hearing me who might even claim to be a brother or sister, but they are not. Maybe even they know the gospel formally and theologically, but they haven't entered into it. Would you bring them to the end of themselves? The place of bowing their knee in humility and trusting in your Son with sincerity. For all who call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. We give you thanks in Jesus' name. Amen.